Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat, a show where I interview business executives, talent development professionals, and thought leaders to find out what has been successful and challenging in the world of talent development. My objective is to share ideas, valuable lessons, tools, advice, and trends. My hope is that all of this will ultimately help you, the listener, expand your knowledge, grow your career, and accelerate your success as a talent development professional. Welcome back to another episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and today I have an interview for you with Mike Adams, who is the author of the international bestseller, Seven Stories Every Salesperson Must Tell. And you might be wondering, hey, this is not a sales podcast. Why are you having Mike on? And uh, I first came across Mike when I heard about his book, and I love reading books and learning. And so I read the book from the perspective of, hey, I want to get better at sales. But what I realized is that there's a lot of great content in there for anyone who wants to become a better leader, who wants to get better at influencing, because stories are so important. Human connection is so important. And I get a lot of requests, or I'm getting more requests from people asking about storytelling for leadership development. And a little bit about Mike's story. He was trained as an electrical engineer. He had no interest in sales until in 1996, he was offered a sales role in Norway. And uh, he decided to take that role, even though his wife was eight months pregnant, they moved. And they had moved from Australia to all over Asia to the UK, and then finally to Norway. And he taught himself storytelling and used it to navigate a diverse international sales career, selling more than $1 billion of products, and that's billion with a B, dollars of products and services for blue chip companies like Schlumberger, Siemens, Nokia, Halliburton, Motorola, and Spotless across telecommunications, IT, oil and gas, facility services, and industrial sectors while being based in USA, UK, Australia, Norway, Russia, China, Indonesia, Malaysia, and Australia. Again, Mike uh, and his wife have been all over the place. And since 2014, Mike has been teaching revenue growth storytelling to an ever-expanding list of national and independent clients. In this interview, we talk about the importance of storytelling, why storytelling works with people to influence and uh, how the brain works and why we as humans love storytelling. We talk about the neocortex. We talk about the most important story that leaders should tell, which is the company strategy or the company values story and why it's important for leaders to be able to tell that story. And uh, we talk about how to get your leaders to get better at telling stories. So if you're interested in storytelling, you're interested in helping your leaders get better at storytelling, then you'll want to check this out. Again, this is Mike Adams, author of 
Seven stories every salesperson must tell. Enjoy. If you work in talent development, you know that your job has become more important than ever. The problem is there's so much uncertainty and noise out in the business world, and things are changing so fast, it's hard to know where to go and what tools and resources to use to solve your problems. That's why I recently launched the Talent Development Think Tank community as a central and safe place to access information, ask questions, and talk with other L&D professionals like you so that you can achieve your goals and accelerate your career. Join today to get instant access to our online platform and community of ambitious, helpful talent development professionals who understand your world and can help you solve your problems. Right now, I'm offering 25% off the subscription price to podcast listeners. Just go to talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT for 25% off. That's talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT. Thanks, and on to the episode. Mike, welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. Andy, we finally made it. Yeah, we finally did. You are uh, in Melbourne, Australia, and of course, I'm in Orlando, Florida. As we record this, it's four in the afternoon for me, which means it's six in the morning for you. Uh, and dark. It's dark outside. It's dark outside. It's taking us a little while to get this scheduled and make it happen, but uh, we finally did, and I appreciate you, you coming on and, and getting up so early in the morning. Uh, it's a pleasure, Andy. I'm looking forward to it. Cool. Well, I don't remember how I first came across your book, Seven Stories Every Salesperson Must Tell. I think I saw someone post about it on LinkedIn and I went and grabbed a copy and I read it right through and I really appreciated it, especially you know me being in sales. I'm working a lot with talent development professionals and looking for ways to partner with more companies. And uh, I wanted to get better at, at storytelling. And so it was very helpful for me and the reason why I invited you on the podcast, you know, we talked before we got on, is that you know most of the people listening to this podcast are not in sales, but I think many of them are looking for ways to get better at influencing, maybe at telling stories themselves. And I also hear requests more and more from people saying, I want to help my leaders get better at storytelling. Do you have anything to help them mm-hmm. with that? And so even though I know your book is geared more towards salespeople, you've been in the corporate world for a long time, literally all over the world. You've worked in a lot of different places and, uh, and have used stories in a lot of different situations. And I know it can be helpful for them. So before we dive into what some of those components are, maybe you can share a little bit of your background and, and how this book came about. Absolutely. Yeah, happy to. Yeah, I grew up in Tasmania, which is a little island, not in Africa, but off the south <laughs> part of Australia. Right. And I graduated as an electrical engineer and electrical mechanical engineer. And I got the dream job out of what you call college, we call university, uh, which was to work, well, dream job if you like travel, it was to work on oil and gas um, drilling rigs in the jungle and out in the ocean in very remote situations. And my, my job was to run surveys in oil rigs and to fix the electronics if it broke down. And, and we, if we were working offshore, you'd have a drilling rig that stopped operating while you did the survey and that cost a million dollars a day and if something doesn't work you've got to fix it and you might be way out in the jungle. I worked in China and Indonesia and Malaysia and then I went to, to Europe and it was very exciting life uh, early on. But I got into um, software development, actually running some of the very, very early artificial intelligence uh, neural network applications on uh, rock physics. And then I got this um, call to my boss's office one day and I was working in London 
And he said, Mike, we've got this great job for you. We want you to go to Norway. Yep. Off to Norway. Fantastic. And then we want you to be a salesperson. And I'll get, no, I don't think so. That is not what I want to do with my life. Right. That was 1996. Uh, what I said was I can't go because my wife is eight months pregnant. But that night she said, hmm, okay. <laughs> and she flew on the last day that she was allowed to fly actually eight months pregnant. And uh, She wanted to move to Norway. I think that was, I remember hearing your story before, that was the persuasive thing. She did. She didn't want to go yeah, she's quite, my wife is quite adventurous. Um, but that was actually a pretty big move. She gave birth in a public hospital in Norway because there are no private hospitals, as far as I know. It was running a pretty strong socialist style of government there with uh, mm. 70% tax and uh, everything provided. And, and I learned how to become a salesperson. And, and to be honest, I would have been straight back to engineering, to software engineering, if it wasn't for extreme good fortune. And one of the things that people probably don't appreciate, I think Australians are better than this than Americans, to be honest, is noticing when you've been really lucky yeah. <laughs> and being a little bit thankful for it. I, I landed a huge deal and it wasn't me. It was my client. I, I just got in the way of it in my rookie year as a salesperson. And, and that was what made me think I could be good. This is very common actually in selling. You know, buyers have to buy. And if you're lucky enough to, if you're lucky enough to get in front of a good deal. I have you know, been there. I have been you there. Just make the mistake of thinking you're good at this game. You know? Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. I've been there. Yeah, and it's actually one of the, the learning and development challenges with salespeople is, you know, if you've had a little bit of success due to luck, you know, you can make the wrong conclusion as I did, which is that you're, you're highly talented. <laughs> right. And I sure yeah. I, had, I had, by the way, I had that experience. I, my biggest client right now is an oil and gas company. And I met them because I went to a conference and happened to meet the right person at breakfast connected yeah. me with the person and they were it was the timing was perfect they were ready to do something and uh, I had a high off of that for a long time thinking I'm really good <laughs> at this game. and then it was a long time before I went and got another sale and I'm like oh maybe I need to get better at this yeah we, we take the good and bad fortune but recognize what is your ability and what's your skill and what isn't in business development is is tricky is is really easy to be misled more so mm. I think than almost any other role in business Maybe with the exception of, of the founding entrepreneur, it's really easy to be misled by, by good and bad fortune. And, and the reason I mention America is, is Americans don't really like to talk much about good and bad fortune. You know, there's belief system of grit and determination and you'll overcome everything if that's all you do. And, and I right. think that um, it pays to learn how to step back a little bit and think, you know, compared to other situation was I did I have good fortune or bad fortune and what does that really mean for my development? But yeah, so I got into sales management, Andy, and, and I worked all throughout Europe. I I ran a sales team in Moscow, in Russia, in the former Soviet Union, which was fabulous, really good fun. Not all that safe for my family. I had three boys by that stage, and I don't know if you remember, but in uh, in the early two thousands, two thousand and two, there was a siege in a theater in Moscow. And, Chechen terrorists took over 850 people in the theater and the, and the barricades for that, the police set up, an army set up barricades around the theater was, was directly outside our office in Moscow. And by then I'd been living in Moscow a couple of years and I, I had this sort of deep feeling in my stomach that this wasn't going to go well for those people in the theater and, and didn't more than 100 died from gas that was pumped into the theater. And, uh, 
And I was thinking, look, you know, I've got my family living here and, yeah, this could be us. And, and at the same time, my dad wasn't very well back in, uh, in Tasmania. So we decided to come home and to live in Melbourne, which, which we'd never lived in before. We had a, bought a house there. That was condition of going to Russia was from my wife was we have to buy a house before we go. And, and she went and bought the house. I went to Russia. So we had a place to live, but we didn't know anyone. And there's no oil and gas industry there. I was working on oil and gas software for Schlumberger. So anyway, I, I told I know the story I told. I told a very good story to get a job in telecommunications, working for Siemens, selling very big multi-tens, multi-hundred million dollar equipment to the biggest telco in Australia. And, and I was supremely unqualified for that job in every aspect. I didn't know anything about my product, my company, or my customer. All the things that they say in the job ad that you must know, I didn't know any of those things. But, uh, but I was lucky again, really. But I did tell, I know I did tell a good sales story of selling myself to get that job. And I went on to, uh, to run sales teams then in, in telecoms, went back overseas, got headhunted back to Australia into a totally different industry, which was facility services. But by that stage, I had contacts with people I knew, so that wasn't so difficult. But I, I sold facility services in the mining and oil and gas camps in Western Australia, which are massive deals. We're talking about tens of thousands of people in villages and towns. I don't know if you know, but Australia is being dug up and sold to China at the moment at an incredible rate. And uh, so I did that. Then I went back into telecoms and, and eventually I, I decided to start consulting. And, and the reason was I had this career mostly managing salespeople more than 20 years and a pretty continual frustration that how to get salespeople to say the right thing in their, in their sales conversations and, and I didn't really know how to teach that. I just knew that there was a, this massive need because most people who are given the job of selling, whether they're called business development or, or whatever, or sales, they kind of struggle along, not, not quite ever doing a brilliant job. It's one of those areas where maybe only 15, 20% of any sales team is really performing well. And it's not really understood why. And that fascinated me. And, and and I, I incorporated storytelling early on, but my experiences of teaching anything other than storytelling, which were a total failure with sales teams, led me to just focus on it. And then I, I wrote seven stories last year, well, starting early the previous year, and really with the idea that, you know, I've got I've finally found something that really works with salespeople. They just love to learn about storytelling. I've got to get it in a book or, I'll, you know, I never get the ideas out there. So, so that's why I wrote about storytelling, but I've used storytelling all through my career pretty unconsciously to start off with and then much, much more purposefully as I get into it. Yeah, no doubt. And, and you've had so many experiences. I remember reading in the book and so many places where you've been able to use stories to help sales along and win big deals, even when they, they looked like they weren't going to be winnable with these huge companies, huge deals and working across different countries, different cultures. Why are stories so compelling and so important in business? Yeah, it's a really good question. And you know, when you write a book, Andy, and you have to commit what you think to paper, it's a really good intellectual exercise. You have to do the work. And so what you do is you read all the other books on storytelling and business and, and sales and what you read is not very satisfactory, not to an engineer. You know, I'm an electrical engineer. I need to know how things work in detail. And the traditional, if I was to paraphrase the, the traditional 
answer to that question. It's something along the line. There's always a sort of a, a pseudo neuroscience answer. And the answer is something like um, stories connect with our emotional brain or our, our emotional centers and, and they allow through the telling of the story, the listener to experience some emotion, which is how you make decisions first and you need to appeal to emotion. It's not a satisfactory answer because it's not really how our brains work. If you really want to understand how our mind works in a business context, you need to understand that the governing organ is the neocortex. The neocortex is the big part of your brain. It's 75% by volume, and it's a massive wrinkled sheet of, of nerve cells. If you were to hold two fists in front of you like that, it's in two halves. It's wrinkly like your two fists, but if you were to lay it out flat, it's about the size of a, of a large dinner napkin tea towel, we would call them in Australia or the UK. And it's about two or three millimetres thick and is about 30 billion neurons in six layers. And it's not, it's not the fact that there's neurons, it's, it's these six layers that really matter. And there's neurons all through your body. People talk about the brain in your gut and the brain in your in other parts of your body, but it's the structure of the neurons in the neocortex that is doing something very special. What it's doing is predicting what's going to happen next. And your neocortex was predicting that I was going to say the word next and that your ears were going to hear the word next. And what our mind, what the neocortex is doing with something that our artificial intelligence systems today cannot yet do, but they will, is continuously predict in real time everything you're going to see, hear, smell, touch, and feel internally. And that feel internally is the real key to understanding stories as well. So when we talk about emotions, it's not the amygdala, it's not your heartbeat, it's not your churning guts. It's those things acting just like a sense. You can think of your guts like, like a sense, like your eyeball is your eyes are a sense you can think of that as a sense of your internal state being sent to the neocortex and the neocortex is analyzing all of those sensory input and predicting what's going to happen next so when you're having a business conversation you're actually predicting how will this person feel next and how will i feel when i say something and what will I see when I say that? And what will I hear? And what will I smell? So we're continuously predicting. And at the lowest level, the cortex is just predicting very mundane things. It's predicting little patterns of light into points and lines and shapes. But then it's hierarchical and then it builds up. And then faces and then concepts. So it's predicting those things and it's predicting what's going to happen next. And the highest level, the highest order of a sequence to predict is a story because the stories are complex sequences which we try to predict what's going to happen next. And by cultural convention, stories are hard to predict what's going to happen. So, in fact, stories are so fundamental to being actually a mammal because they're about predicting what's going to happen next. And when you understand that, th that our mind is a memory sequence prediction organ, you'll see patterns and sequences to predict everywhere. You'll hear them in a song. You'll switch the radio on in your car and you'll be able to predict the next note of the song, if you know it, within three beats. I count them. Bang, 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 that song. 
by that artist and I listened to it when I first heard it in that situation. Prediction, you're just predicting it. You'll notice it on, a, on an image. Some of, the most really in, some of the most interesting works of abstract art put things in the wrong place. So what's happening when you look at a face is your eye is jumping from place to place several times a second, five to ten times a second. It's called a saccade. And so you look through the eye and the brain predicts the other eye is going to be over there and it predicts the mouth's going to be down there and the face is there and it's slowly recognising what to predict. Whose face is that? And we do the same when we look at art and our eye is dancing over in a prediction and the artist's fantastic at foiling that, at at surprising us in what to predict in a piece of work. In fact, that's a good definition for a fantastic piece of art. It's something that teaches us a new way to predict what's going to happen in the artwork. So we're doing it with every sense, all the time, real time. And whenever we can easily predict, we stop predicting and we just run our internal program. So our daydreams and our ruminations are just internal auto-predictions. So whenever you've lost people in a meeting, whenever you're trying to give a presentation and they're lost, it's because they could now easily predict what you're going to say next, or they thought they could, and they've switched off because they don't need to. We, we don't need to put a lot of mental energy into predicting something that's easy to predict. We just stop. It's the reason that we are accused of not listening well by our partners because, you know, we think we know what the... If you run standard patterns of conversation every time you come home each night, you're going to become predictable and you're going to stop listening. And I am the world's worst listener, according to my partner, and she's not that great either. (laughs) Unless unless we recognise this fact, right, and and start to have more interesting conversations by... by But good stories are unpredictable is basically what you're saying. That is the fact. What comes to mind to me, just to, to break this up, is that... You go to a movie, right? And you're captivated when it's a really great story. And if it's not, sometimes you come out and you hear people say, well, that was so predictable. And they're disappointed because the story was so Correct. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, we have a, our neocortex is seeking out interesting, unpredictable things and it's doing it all the time. And everyone has one. Every single human has a neocortex. There's uh, no one that doesn't have one. And they're all seeking out um, interesting, unpredictable things. So that includes the CFOs and the CEOs of major corporations. So people sometimes ask me, you know, can you tell a story to anyone? And does everyone like stories? And I say, yeah, everyone's got a neocortex. Otherwise, they're definitely not a CEO or a CFO of a big company. And they will respond to stories as long as you're not wasting their time. And... That's the critical thing about business storytelling is we need to make a business point with a business story. Point, right, and and right. that's, that's probably one of the key ways that people fail with storytelling is that they're not tight. They're not making a business point. And we're really talking in a business context about small anecdotes. I mean, I've been rambling on, but I wouldn't do that in a, in a first <laughs> meeting with a CEO. Right. definitely much tighter. Two minutes is a good time to, to aim for for these anecdotes. Yeah, so there's, there's got to be a business point. And I think that that was a question that was in my mind that I think came up in your book. Or you, had, you had sort of like a frequently asked questions near the end. And one of them is, and I've learned this working with different people and, and even I've run training on social styles and working styles. Everybody has different working styles, right? And I've talked about it on the podcast before. I'm very social. So I like to hear people's stories and tell people's stories. But my fear is that I would open up and tell a story to someone who is a very like 
bullet point by the book, like we start a meeting, let's get down to business and get out of here. I know there's some people like that. So I would, my fear would be if I try to use a story, they're going to roll their eyes and go, why, you know, why is this person wasting my time? And you're saying, as long as it has a point, everybody still appreciates a good story. Yeah. If you're in a first meeting and if the meeting isn't too big, because by convention, when someone tells a story, someone tells a story back. And that can really waste time because, you know, you might have a tight story and then they start telling a long rambling story back. And then you've, before you know it, you've lost the first 15 minutes of your 30-minute meeting. Mm. But particularly if you're one-on-one, it can be extremely powerful to tell your personal story. Now, in my personal story, I told about my wife being pregnant, eight months pregnant. And, and if you put something personal like that in your personal career story, you know, this is the story that answers why do you do what you do? You put something personal in it, you'll very likely get something personal back from the other person. And one of the most important things to understand about storytelling is we tell stories in order to get the other person's story. This is not a one-way exercise. You know, I'll, I'll tell my story and say, well, enough about me, Mr. CEO. What about you? How did you get to be CEO? That's pretty impressive. And then you get their story. And, and the way you told your story will seed the way they will tell their story back. So if you include something personal, if you include some vulnerability like being very lucky, they'll put something in about themselves and their own vulnerability. And and this is really where friendship and proper connection actually starts. We, We don't connect human to human with people over the presentation or the discussion of the numbers, the business case of these things. We connect over mundane little vulnerable things that show that I'm a human like you and, and I have my foibles, but you, but you can trust me and I'm, I'm credible. And uh, this is impre- incredibly important to understand. And it's understood better in, in a lot of the cultures that I've worked with around the world. In fact, uh, there is no business before significant socialising in most countries in the world, actually. Mm. This episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. We specialize in connecting companies with exceptional learning solutions to help them turn strategy into action and get their people doing the best work of their lives. We're also providing tons of great content on a weekly basis. In fact, we recently launched a great webinar series that has been going on weekly with content such as creating a culture of multipliers, gender equity, Liz Weissman's webinar on helping rid the world of bad bosses. We have a new webinar from Brent Snow on decision-making. We have a webinar on multipliers and how to use multipliers during troubled times, calming the storm. We have a webinar from our partner, Julie Winkle Giulioni on developing in place how to continue your growth during remote working. And a webinar from Paul Middleton on the secret sauce for learning in the flow of work plus many more, just head to our website at advantageperformance.com. Click on free resources and you'll find the link to webinars and all of our other insights and resources there. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. How can leaders, business leaders use this? I know you, you work a lot with salespeople and you do sales training. So you're intimately aware of the, the challenges of training and development a lot of people listening to this podcast work in training and development for big companies. They're helping their leaders become better leaders, right? The essence Correct. of leadership. Development. And I hear a lot about how do I get people to get better at storytelling 
to influence and get their people to do certain things. So how, do, how wise is important for leaders? How do they get them to be better at storytelling? Yeah, well, and storytelling sure is a thing these days to the point of overuse and misunderstanding quite often. Mm. Very often I hear the word story, not a story. My clients are, I work with sales teams, Andy, but my clients are our CEOs and business owners because that's my best way to do good work is to meet business leaders that are frustrated with the revenue generation part of their business that they, they know they can do it themselves. You know, they usually built their business to a certain point. You know, when, when business leaders build to a point that they need a sales team, they're, they're handing over what they figured out themselves somehow how to do to agents, to people who will do it for them. And it's my experience that those founder CEOs are fantastic storytellers. In fact, if they have a fault, it is that they, they don't stop storytelling. They hardly allow a chance for the exchange of stories. That's a really common thing, actually, with founder CEOs. They tell story after story. And their staff roll their eyes around them because they've all heard the story a hundred times. But they're still fantastically persuasive. Those stories are incredibly persuasive. But the staff don't feel like they can, they they know they are not the founder. They can't tell those stories. They feel they can't tell them. But that's what I do. I teach the sales team how to tell the stories like the founder can. And I do it with a method. So I teach them exactly the method. So generally, and your question was how to learn that, Andy, how do, you, how do you learn that? The process of learning business storytelling, I've found works best in groups. It works best in groups because a group within a team, there will be people that have fantastic stories. They will have experienced things in the company, so they'll have stories. So we use the group environment workshop usually over a day. I have two types of workshops. One I call storytelling for a poor where we really work on rapport building stories of personal story, exchanging stories, company story, and how to tell the story of someone else. Because if I tell your story, Andy, I can pump you up. I mean, I can definitely tell Andy the hero. I can't really modestly tell that about myself. I need to include the things that I've done in my career. To, to and I love telling stories for other people on their behalf. It's it's mm-hmm. one of the most fulfilling, wonderful things to do. Correct. I love introducing other people and telling their stories and pumping them up That's because right. you can be so boastful about other people. It's fun, right? Whereas if you do it about yourself, it's like that guy's arrogant. <laughs> exactly. So that's that's a pretty good distinction right there. But when you have that first meeting with a potential client, by letting them know and trust the other people in your team before they even meet them. You give those people a fantastic advantage in their future conversations and you you really smooth, you're oiling the wheels of all the future engagements when you do that. So we call that, the, I call that the key personal, key staff story. It's a really important story. And in that one day workshop, of course, you're learning the stories of the other people in your team. So this is just a great way to get to learn those stories. The second day that we do, I call storytelling for deal making. And here we go into success stories. How do you tell the story of your successful clients from their perspective? And and most people are pretty okay at telling stories about things that happen to themselves. But great storytellers can tell other people's stories and, and have to. You know, salespeople are agents for their company. They have to tell other people's stories. And that is a real clue to deal making. You've got to be able to tell the stories of your leaders and how they demonstrate your values 
and the stories of your company insights. And, you know, insight selling is one of these sort of buzzwords, you know, a bit like storytelling. And a lot of people don't really understand what an insight is, but, but an insight by definition is something that your market and your future client doesn't understand. They don't get it. Otherwise, it's not an insight. <laughs> and if you can't, like that's just sort of so obvious, right? It's not insightful if you already know it. <laughs> but, but if you can't tell the story of how you learnt that insight, if you can't teach through the story of learning the insight, then you'll just come across as someone who arrogantly thinks they know more about my business than I do. This is where you get this with this sort of concept of challenging sales. You know, it's, it's not about challenging the, the client with something they don't know. It's about teaching them something that they should know. And that's done with the insight story. So the, the storytelling yeah. for deal-making day, we go through those types of stories and we teach how to craft those stories and then how to tell them and in what context to tell them because we want to tell the right type of story in, in the right context. What are, Mike, what are the most, you, in your book, you go through the seven critical stories, important stories that salespeople need to tell. When you think yeah. about leaders in a business, corporate context, what do you think are the most important stories for them to be able to tell to influence their people? Yeah, well, leaders, the, the first story that a leader has to be able to tell is, is the company strategy story. So the company strategy story is it's a history how your company founded, why it existed, why didn't it fail, why, how did it succeed, why didn't it fail, and then where is it going? Where is the company going? So it's a narrative that starts in the past and then it, it very often changes. So quite often companies are challenged by some new thing that's happening, so the company is challenged. And then what are the, the special gifts that your company has, the tools, the lightsabers, you know, if you're Luke Skywalker, the, the tools that you have, they're going to help you win the day in your future strategy. That story is critically important. And we, we do a, a workshop program for boards and CEOs on the company strategy story. And that's a little bit different from the other storytelling sessions because it's very, very difficult to get a board for a whole day. So we do it in a half day, but then we do quite a bit of work afterwards, making sure that other people down through the organization can tell the company's strategy story. And we, we do that with video messaging, actually. Video messaging is a really powerful way to practice and, and embed stories through an organization. So I consider the company strategy story as the linchpin, the, the key story of a leader. And the value stories are the stories that explain to your staff how we behave, how we will achieve our goal through which behaviors and which practices. And those values are also part of our armor. They're part of our, our, our armory in achieving the strategy. So those are the story types that the company strategy story and the values that will lead change and will inspire people to go in a direction. Because your job as a leader is to inspire people to follow you. And if you want to get someone to follow you, you absolutely have to paint the picture of where you're going yeah, And then you have to explain to them how it's possible by the special tools that you have that are going to get you there. So where you've come from, why you have to change, where you're going, and how you're going to get there is, is the corporate company strategy story. Yeah, and I think when I think about my work with uh, corporate leaders and managers, oftentimes there's a big gap that they don't really understand the company strategy. They don't do a good job of uh, really relating that to their team, to their employees. 
And then people don't really know why they're being asked to do certain things. They don't understand the purpose behind it. And therefore, they're not really aligned to the overall company strategy. They're not doing their best work to contribute towards that. And that's where a lot of times great strategies fail. And I specifically say great strategies because companies can put together really wonderful strategies. But if they're not able to really communicate that effectively to their people and get their people aligned and excited about the strategy, then that strategy will fail in the execution. And one of the great ways to do that, I mean, I've done a lot of work in strategy alignment using experiential learning programs, business simulations. And part of that is giving leaders a position or place to tell the story of the strategy in a different way. And so what you're saying, it's really important for them to be able to talk about the company, the origins, you know, the strategy, maybe the purpose, the mission, the values, all of those things uh, in a way that's compelling and interesting to the employees so that they are more motivated to go out and execute on that strategy. Yeah, maybe I can give a short example. I'll give one from, from the Seven Stories book. When I, and, and, and also to show that the company's strategy story, it depends on what type of company you're in, how that strategy story could be. So if you're working for a startup, then this, the story is typically the founder's story. You know, it's how did mm-hmm. they start and had tell me about, you know, building the shed or whatever, you know, starting in the shed or, you know, sleeping on couches and this and that. And then we had this good fortune and, and we started the company. But if you're working for a big corporation, then the founder's story may not be that relevant or you may be in a completely different business by now. You know, you're 10 acquisitions in, you know, the company's not like that. So you have to think of the geography you're in or the product that you're working with or that kind of thing. So for example, when I joined, when I moved to Russia in the early 2000s and we had a new president in Russia by the name of Vladimir Putin at that time. And I, I had heard... So Schlumberger is an interesting company. It's a, it's a massive oil and gas services company. It's about a 40 billion US dollar per annum company these days. But it started in the 1920s, late 1920s, with two French brothers. The correct, um, you know, we say Schlumberger, but they, Schlumberger, it's, it's an Alsatian name. It's from the French-German border. And Conrad and Marcel Schlumberger invented a technique for, they, they figured if they lowered a, an electrode in an oil well and measured the potential from that, voltage potential from that electrode on the surface, that they could measure high resistivity and that's where the oil was. So they invented a technique for knowing where the oil is in an oil well. But that's the kind of invention that makes a $40 billion company. But when they invented it, like every entrepreneur, no one wanted to listen, right? No one one thought that was a good idea, except in Russia. So they had their early success in Russia, in Georgia and Southern Republics of Russia and really got it. But in the 1930s, uh, Stalin uh, nationalized them, took all of their equipment and kicked them out of, out of the Soviet Union. And, but fortunately, by that time, they started to get going also in, in Texas. And so the company has become what it is now, a massive multinational company. But in the 1990s, when Russia was opening up again to Western companies, Shomja had to make a decision, do we go back into Russia or not? And the strategy guys took a, a business case to the CEO and essentially asked him, you know, how much money are you willing to, to risk? And he had a very blunt, short answer, which was $200 million. And they took the decision to invest in two of the newly privatized Russian oil companies. So you had this monolithic state oil company that was arbitrarily split up into tens of oil companies and gas companies. So they took two of those companies pretty much at random, the number two and the number six companies, and invested 
heavily in expertise and technology that put CFOs and people into these companies. And, and those two companies did the exact opposite of every other Russian oil company, which is they doubled their production in 18 months while the others were still going down. This is a terrible time for the Russian oil, oil industry. And I told that story, that story I've just told you then, I told that story to several of my clients and then I started hearing that story coming back from other clients. That's when, that's when you know you've got a good story when you start hearing it retold <laughs> by your clients. And the message in that story, I mean, Schlumberger, that, that, to finish that story, that's a multi-billion dollar industry for Schlumberger now, Schlumberger Russia and the former Soviet Union. So, you know, this is a company that lives by innovation and will make you rich. I mean, Schlumberger makes oil companies rich. That's the fact of it, right? And it's a, but it's an incredibly powerful story because of the history, and it's the history in that location. So that's an example of a corporate story customised to the specific geography and the specific situation of re-entering a market. That's great. And it gets people, it's compelling and gets people to really understand the history and why they're there and why it exists and the ups and downs, the challenges they've been through. The last question I have for you, Mike, is for people that are talent development professionals or anyone that's looking to help their leaders get better at storytelling, what advice would you give them other than putting your book in their hands? I know you mentioned you run some workshops as well. What other things can they do to, to get better at using storytelling? So story, storytelling is... Um, something that companies should implement as a practice. So we're great at having weekly sales meetings or weekly management meetings, and we talk about all sorts of arcane things, and people don't pay much attention in those meetings because they become easily predictable. But if you implement a story, nominate someone to tell the next meeting story, give them the job of researching a new story, and tell the story at the next meeting, and give someone else the job of telling the last meeting story, you will start to put in place a practice of storytelling in your company. And then you'll start to notice that this is a tool, that it's a skill that you can develop and, and really turn your company into a story company. And that's really what I'm about with my business now. I want to create story teams and story companies. And that's really about the practice of storytelling. Got it. That's great, Mike. I agree. You know, as with any sales conversations or performance review, coaching, feedback conversations, we often don't want to practice, right? We don't have time and we just want to do it in the moment. But there's a reason why sports teams practice over and over again. There's a reason why the military practices over and over again before they get into real combat. Uh, it's because to get good at anything that you're not normally, you don't do naturally, we have to practice. And so if you want to be good at storytelling, you want to be good at having sales conversations. You want to be good at having coaching conversations with your people. You need to practice. And that's a lot of what I do is provide opportunities for people to practice. Sounds like you and your workshops give people an opportunity to practice. And so for anybody listening who is, uh, wants to reach out to you, maybe find out more about the work you do, your workshops, where's the best place for them to go for that? So I'm going to make the assumption that your listeners are functional Googlers. They could type Mike Adams storytelling. They're going to find a hundred things, including different ways to, to consume seven stories. So it's an audio book and it's an ebook and it's a softback. So that's the easiest way to find me. Yeah, and, and maybe I could just finish and say that what selling has taught me is that you need to think about the outcome. So when I'm consulting, I'm thinking about the enduring outcome. It's not about having a fun day, but what can I leave as an enduring outcome? And I think that's the right way to think when you're a consultant. You're, you're a guest 
for a short time in a company? What can I leave that endures? And I think in terms of the stories, because stories endure in people's mind, but also the concept of a story library. A story library is such a powerful thing that almost no company has. Almost no company has invested in capturing the best stories in a way that people can consume them. And the simple, easy way to to store stories is as short videos, and you can capture them on, on an iPhone but store them. And then when new people come into your company, they can listen to it. The people that didn't have the benefit of the workshop can still hear and, and watch those stories. And the final thing I, I work to do is to get one, at least one story leader, not the CEO, but someone to take on the role of being the custodian of the stories. And, and we have an extended program to coach that person. How do you facilitate a storytelling session? How do you, how do you be the person that looks after the company stories and, and keeps them in good shape and make sure the right people know them. That's that's the story leader and, and that's the name of our company. That's it right there. I like it. So go ahead and Google if you know how to do that, Mike Adams. Uh, the <laughs> yeah, if you don't know how to Google, you, you can't be on Andy's on Andy's. That's show. right. You can't you can't listen anymore. <laughs> uh, the book is called Seven Stories Every Salesperson Must Tell. I read it and enjoyed it. And I am looking to get better at storytelling myself. And so if you end up in a conversation with me, Look for me to try to tell you a story. Mike, thanks so much for coming on, uh, for getting up early in the morning and coming on at 6 a.m. in Australia to uh, share some of your story and your advice on storytelling. I really appreciate it. And uh, I wish you the best of luck. Andy, absolute pleasure. Delighted. All right, take care. If you're looking for a place to connect with colleagues and peers from your industry and find out what other people in talent development are working on, you need to check out the brand new Talent Development Think Tank membership community. Inside, we have members from companies all over the world who are working on all different things in talent development and sharing what's been working, what's been not working, and answering each other's questions so we can all get our jobs done more effectively and be more successful in our careers. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you. Just head on over to tdtt.us slash community, and you can use code HOTSEAT for 25% off your subscription. That's tdtt.us slash community and use code HOTSEAT for a limited time for 25% off your subscription. If you have any questions, reach out to me and let me know and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you got value out of this show, please subscribe, leave a review and share with your colleagues and friends. We want to spread the word and add as much value to the talent development community as possible. And we need your help. As always, you can find more information and connect with me at talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Take care.